Hello, everyone. We're talking about cryptocurrencies on the show this week. Some people are using them as investments, but please don't construe anything we say during the show as investment advice. We're definitely not qualified to give that. And in fact, you probably shouldn't listen to any of our advice ever. Special thanks to everyone who pledged money to crowdfund the show this week, including Matt Lacey, David Walker, Tim Edwards, Zilliko Elia, Andy Hagen, Jamie Holland, Roland Roberts, Ian Wilkinson, Alistair Harding, Dan Lane, Ian Mercer and John Balshaw. There's a full list of our supporters on 361podcast.com, along with information on how to help us for as little as $1 per episode via Patreon. Hello and welcome to 361, a weekly podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Ben Smith. I'm Rafe Blanford. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is Season 15, Episode 6, and this week we're talking cryptocurrency and how we've been getting on with this season's challenge. We try to understand what cryptocurrencies are, get sidetracked into talking about tulips, and share how we've bought our first bitcoins. Welcome back, chaps. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Ben. And you? Oh, Rafe Blanford, yes. Very uh, wide awake, thank you. Um, you're looking yeah. very well. Oh, I appreciate that sentiment. Uh, you, McLeod, how is sunny Denmark? <laughs> uh, yo, yo, hello from Copenhagen. Hello. It's, uh, we're not quite sunny. It's super dark at the minute. Super dark. Excellent. Dark, still not weather. Six episodes in. No snow. There was snow in uh, Oslo. No snow. And there, were, there wasn't much snow in Helsinki. Uh, Excellent. Uh, well, we're, we're, or Stockholm. We're recording this just prior to Christmas, but can I preemptively ask you whether or not you had a very nice Christmas? It was amazing. And were there, any, were there any important things that happened in the news that you'd like to comment on over the Christmas period? I thought Meghan Markle looked fantastic in her whatever she was wearing. Excellent. Good. Well, we're, Terrific. We're just getting together just prior to Christmas to record this, but obviously it's going to be published just after. So we hope that you had a nice Christmas and that uh, nothing unpleasant happened. On the, in the in the world news, although <laughs> and the chestnuts were roasted nicely. In, indeed, yes. Although I was just reading Twitter as we came into the recording here, and it makes me makes me wonder, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Okie dokie, you McLeod, you yes. look like you are sat in the middle of a bomb site. There is a degree of that. Has something terrible happened to you? No, no, no. We just moved house, and we haven't quite unpacked yet. Mm-hmm. So we've just put everything in this particular room. When you say everything, you mean everything you own, it appears. Well, okay, so the Nerf guns are over here. Excellent. There's a random basket here. Oh, and then I've got a special listening test for you. What is this? Oh, have, have we what does that? Really, can you hear that? Can you have hear we that? really devolved to listen to you and scratch something and guess what it is podcast? <laughs> this is the first scratch and sniff podcast. What could it be? What I can hear is the sound of Mark trying to edit this episode, weeping, <laughs> just weeping. It was an Ikea bag, in case you wondered. There you go. Next. Lots of random Next. nonsense in your basement. Yeah. When you moved in, did, did the people moving you in stand in the doorway and throw the things into the room? <laughs> you could. <laughs> yes. There's a degree of that going on. I, I think yeah. maybe there's a translation error, cause I, or maybe a misunderstanding error, because I, I thought we were having packers and unpackers. Yeah. But it seems like they packed up and then brought the boxes into the house, and that's it. So, bit of a nightmare. Yeah. But anyway, it's lovely house. We're delighted. All is good. Oh, well, certainly the box behind you looks lovely. Well, every so often we have a conversation about how to achieve a better audio quality on the recording and we talk about soundproofing rooms and curtains and padding and, and those sorts of things and I'm not entirely sure <laughs> a room full of cardboard boxes and random pieces of plastic is necessarily the optimal acoustic environment we were going for. But I did get a sofa cushion thing from outside and I've put it behind the laptop. That's brilliant. Dedication. 
Well, that might make all the difference. That yeah. has made all the difference. So, well, it's a pleasure to see you. I think probably it's lovely be, to see you. Be no you, surprise. You're looking well. Thank you. It'd be no surprise to people that we've had a bit of a break during recordings. Actually, the break's slightly longer than it's actually been in terms of episode publishing because we recorded quite a lot of season 15 before we started publishing them and we've had to have a little bit of a break while the move and stuff, but we are back. Yeah. Uh, apologies for the slightly disjointed nature. We are doing our best. I couldn't find my laptop. Uh, you and Cloud literally couldn't find his laptop. Yeah. So it was probably in one of those many, many boxes behind you. Mm. Anyways, we should move on because we are tight for time and we've got a really meaty episode today. Ray yes. Bamford, what are we talking about? We are talking about Bitcoin because this was the mm. uh, season challenge that we set ourselves back in episode one. And obviously it's been in the news lots and it's all the thing we're trying to learn a little bit about. So therefore, that's what this episode is going to be all about. And we should sound the understanding, Claxon, that nothing you hear now is definitive fact. We are learning along with you. Absolutely. And we're, doing, we're going to do our best in this episode to explain what we understand. But if you know hmm. better, if you've got a suggestion or a different understanding, please do write in. We're going to try and share our learning experience with you. We will do our best to be correct. Yeah. And this in no shape or form is us getting on the Bitcoin bandwagon like six months, 12 months too late. Well, Seven years too late. You say that. And let's start off with the inevitable talk about value. So just to recap, for if you're joining us, the Bitcoin challenge that we, or the yes. cryptocurrency challenge, we said we would each buy 100 pounds of cryptocurrencies and we would try to spend it, use it in interesting ways. We would investigate what it was like to try and use cryptocurrencies and get more acquainted with the subject. Uh, so that's 300 of your pounds sterling in cryptocurrency value. So you and McLeod, when did we discuss that? It feels like it could have been up to a year ago when we, we put this down as an idea. I'm going to say January 2017, which is the, the note. That okay, I so almost, almost yeah, a year. Almost a year. Yeah. Well, you've, you've got a date. Well, I found a note that we made in a conversation about things we might talk about, and certainly January 2017, it was on a list. So let's play a game, okay? Let's play a game. Mm. What could I have bought with that £300 worth of cryptocurrencies if we just all popped it in the second most popular cryptocurrency, Ethereum, and left it there? That'd be probably, what, a few thousand pounds now? I mean, that's gone up quite a bit, I think. Uh, 30,000. 30, Give me sorry. an item that you think we could have bought, Rafe Lanford. Mm, I think we could have bought a very nice bottle of wine. Very nice bottle of wine. Mid-level range over. So uh, let's say a mid-level range over. 30, 30 45,000, 35,000. Okay, okay. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a bit of a leap. 300 pounds or 35,000? Seems unlikely. I'm just going to correct you both there. What we could have bought is a very, very large house because our 300 pounds sterling would now be worth 1.5 million pounds. Oh, my God. So, um, which genius suggested we should do the smart home challenge instead? Yes. Um, well, I won that one. Well, now yes. let's not get onto that subject. <laughs> Wow, five thousand percent. Yes, five thousand percent. Let's. I'm what just would gonna... we have done, by the way, if you know, if we had looked away and gone, oh, because one of us would have had to be very, very, very nice. Whose account would we have put it in? <laughs> I, I can tell you one thing: I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you, schmucks. <laughs> We'd be half, on an island somewhere with my yeah. half a million pounds. So, I guess that's an interesting lead-in to the question, Rafe, because a year ago, cryptocurrencies were. A relatively well-known thing. There was quite a lot to talk about it. Enough for us idiots to be aware of it and think, "Oh, we might talk about that." And it has now appreciated at the time of recording. Obviously, you know it goes up and down, but at the time of recording, it's made a five thousand percent increase in value in the last year. That would have taken hundreds of pounds and made it millions of pounds. The only things I can think of that appreciate like that 
are scams or are illegal. So I kind of want to go back and we are not going to do a good job of explaining the fundamentals of what cryptocurrencies are. We'll try and find some references for that. But explain to me how a thing that is legitimate can have increased so much in value. And let's just try and unpack a few basics for people who who know nothing about cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I mean, it's actually a difficult question to answer because it kind of ties into the bubble question, which we'll maybe talk about later in speculation. But it's worth stating, just to start with, that cryptocurrency isn't all that different to a normal currency or normal money in the sense that it's a medium of exchange. Cryptocurrencies generally will have um, ability to have them created, and this is to do with kind of the way they work, the ability to verify a transfer and obviously for a transaction to take place. And a lot of the time we're talking about the blockchain, which is essentially a ledger of all the transactions that have taken place. But in that sense, you know, it's, it's no different to a normal bit of currency. The thing about all currencies is they're only worth what people are willing to exchange for them. You're right. It's unusual. It's gone up a lot in value. Why? Well, you know, that's kind of partly what's happened with cryptocurrencies. It's kind of not been limited by the usual things that currencies are limited by. So you've explained why cryptocurrencies are like other currencies. Mm. You know, I can exchange them and transfer them backwards and forwards and keep a record and et cetera, et cetera. But in what meaningful ways are they different, Ewan? Because I feel like there can't be so much buzz about cryptocurrencies just because we've invented a new kind of squiggly sign instead of a pound sign or a dollar sign and, you know, created a new currency. There must be something fundamentally different about cryptocurrencies. The major issue or major point is it's decentralized in that no no one controls it. Someone created the construct and it, it is being, I, mean, I hesitate to say it managed, it's being guided. It's following a set of rules that everyone right, agrees right. on. Yes. And so that's fine. But the decentralized nature of it means that there isn't a government or someone or something human with an agenda. So the rules, the process, how it works is effectively open for all to see. There's no trust issue in that it's an algorithm, basically. So you, you can't disagree with it. You may not like what it does, but the key is that when you look at the standard currencies that we're all aware of, they can be twisted and moved, changed, and they are you know, influenced directly by governments or others, other actors around the place. So this, what's interesting about these cryptocurrencies is they aren't as susceptible or they are that they are not susceptible to state actors or equivalent making big changes to them i want to make an actor gag but i think we're in the serious part of the conversation here so let's well, just pretend you know, exactly move on. exactly but, so i think it's a good i was going to say stakeholder but yeah so it's deregulated it's well there's no, there's no regulation so it's not de- it's just, there's nothing going on but it, it's it's defined by some essential rules of maths because it's right. based on prime numbers and working out hard sums to it's a bit hard, money. yeah, exactly. In order to earn money, your machine, your computer has to do a lot of yeah. calculations. Yeah, yeah. What you've got is a set of rules that describe how the currency works and how the network works, and that enforces it being decentralized and what's yeah. described as peer-to-peer various nodes in the network. People don't need to understand that. What they need to understand is there isn't a central bank involved. It's kind yes. of the agreement of all parties in the network. And that actually comes to the second point, that it's transparent in the sense that all the transactions are recorded. And I referred to the blockchain earlier. That's Mm. where they're recorded. So you can see with visibility what every transaction has taken place. And some people early on talked about it being anonymous. In effect, it's kind of not because you can track when a transaction takes place. What you can't always track is the individual associated with it because that information isn't in the blockchain. 
although you can often infer it by looking at patterns of behaviour. So just before we move on then, it's decentralised, deregulated, a set of rules. I think I basically understand those. Mm. And many people are agreeing that it has value in other currencies and is exchanging currencies backwards and forwards. But that's right. why we can say that an Ethereum has a value or a Bitcoin has a value but it's only the value that we agree and the value fluctuates up and down. And that's why Ethereum and Bitcoin have both skyrocketed in value. But where do you keep your cryptocurrencies? Because I understand that I give my real money to my bank, Ewan, and they keep right. it safe for me. They allow me to do you know, electronic transactions between other financial institutions. Mm. I trust them and I understand them because to be a bank is something that where the government and the legal system says that you know they will do things and behave in certain ways. Yeah, and you, yeah. So where do you keep your cryptocurrencies? And do you mean me? As yeah, me yeah, personally, you personally, right? yeah. By the way, I know quite a few people that keep them on external hard disks. Yeah, they keep their record. You know, it's their wallet is. So it, like, it is. It is a, a file on a disk. Yeah, and if you lose it, by the way, then you are screwed. I have a rather um, a simplistic view in that I just use. There's a company called Coinfloor in the UK. I've been using to hold my currency. I don't really want to have to worry about it. I don't want to have control my own wallet. You can, I'm sure. Maybe in the future, I would want to do that. But at the moment, I don't. I don't okay, want to worry so, about so it. So you you need to store your money, or you can store your money in a wallet, and you've got a company doing it for you. Yeah, I think what's helpful to say is the way it works is as with a lot of kind of digital transactions. There's a digital signature associated with it. You have what's called a public key and a private key, and those together are used to basically sign a, a transaction or to send money without going into more details. That's kind of the essentials of it. And so you have to keep your private key safe. And that's what Ewan was talking about mm -hmm. with people kind of keeping that locked away. There's also a, a seed in Bitcoin terms, but there's basically, actually, it's just a digital representation of a thing that you keep safe. Yes. And you, most people will keep those in what's referred to as a wallet because that's a safe place to store them. But the wallet can be something that sits in the cloud with a company and some people buy their coins that way. It can also just be recorded on a bit of paper or etched into a bit of steel. Um, some people have it stored as a local file on a hard disk, which is why you'll hear about a 7.5 million pound hard disk being buried somewhere in a refuse heap in the UK. Yeah. And as you had said, that's the thing that's important to keep safe. It's also arguably one of the downsides of cryptocurrency because Inherently, you have to keep that private key really safe, really private. But in order to be able to transact, to do things with your currency, mm. you actually have to make that accessible and be able to do things with it. And so that's why it's maybe not as accessible for some people as others. Okay. I think there's a lot more to come back to on how <laughs> do cryptocurrencies work. Oh, there's, ton, there's tons more detail there. We're not going to do a how does Bitcoin work episode, right? Well, I don't think we're equipped to do that, but I, I think yeah, yeah. I'm interested in, in understanding enough to then move on to the next question, which is value. Right. As I understand it, Rafe, cryptocurrencies weren't designed, weren't created by the primarily sort of quite academic type people who originally came up with the concept as things that you would speculate on, things that you would use as investments, which is what many people do with cryptocurrencies now. And we'll, again, we'll come back to that later on. But they were intended to be you know, to use the big boy words, financial instruments. They were intended to allow you to transact. So how have we arrived at a situation where the three of us collectively could have been a millionaire <laughs> if we just popped some money in? Incidentally, uh, the Winklevoss twins I read the other day, who I think are the interesting pair, I'll put it no stronger than that, who claimed to have invented Facebook rather than Mark Zuckerberg, apparently are the world's first crypto coin billionaires. 
Wow. Yeah, well, they got in very, very early. Yeah. And kudos to them. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose it'd be interesting to see whether or not they can actually get to that value. But Rafe, how can the thing be worth more money? Well, so to answer your question, it's not any different to any other financial instrument. The thing is, early days, things did have an intrinsic value. When you talk about gold-based or precious metal-based currencies, that kind of evolved into the coins and the cash and the notes we have today, which was kind of, that's why you get on your Bank of England note, the Bank of England promises to pay the bearer of this note X amount. And so there's a difference between intrinsic value, which is kind of what it's worth, because you could melt down a gold coin and sell it on, and then the marketability value, which is what everyone kind of agrees it's worth. And that's people saying, I agree to pay you that for anything. And that's true of any financial instrument. The reason it's gone up in value or the reason it's become speculation, I think even the founders of cryptocurrency, yes, you're right, was in academic papers, would have realized that people would speculate against it. It happens to all financial instruments. It's kind of human nature. And actually, in some senses, the more volatile they are, which is probably quite predictable in the case of cryptocurrency, the more likely people are able to speculate because it, it makes more money. Why has it gone up in value so much? Well, there are some limitations around Bitcoin, which means there's only ever going to be so many of them created. So there is a ceiling on it. But also, I think it's just become well-known. It's got brand recognition as a leading cryptocurrency. It's a plausible winner in kind of using it as a store of value, which I think is one of the really important things for financial instruments in general. That's actually the thing that will make it go up a lot more. It's shown staying power. It's been around a relatively long time for 10 years. And more and more people are kind of getting into it or understanding it. And so when you've got kind of a limited size, the more people that get into it, you know, it's a kind of a scarcity thing. The, the value goes up. I think the other thing here is actually Bitcoin has the first mover advantage and actually the switching costs of going to a better cryptocurrency, yeah. and arguably there are some out there, is not worth it. And so it's built up value. But honestly, it comes down to the fact that more people are interested in buying it and, uh, you know, this is why people talk about a bubble. It's kind of the greater fool theory on anything that you can buy, and this includes art and antiques. It's kind of the inferences that you will buy it on the understanding that there's someone else out there who will buy it for even more money. And while there are more people coming into the market, and actually just human population being what it is, it's increasing kind of the size of that market. Everything has been growing in value. You know, we could get into economic theory when we talk about other elements of this because it comes down to productivity and efficiency and that's why we're straight into oxbridge territory here which one were you cambridge of course that is oxford the best one were you i can't remember no. i thought it was yeah no. i thought that was the best one as well yeah yeah he went to the second best one i think Sa yeah. sad for rafe to have only gone to the second best one yeah mm. rafe <laughs> my notes just cryptically says the word tulips and i want right. to talk about flowers for a moment yes this is brilliant because Actually, this is one of my favourite things about Bitcoin, because we get to talk about a subject that I really like, flowers and tulip mania. And this is because several economists, actually the chief economist of UBS... Instagram. You and I'm just pressing the panic button as fast as I can here, but no one's come to help me. The CEO of JP Morgan all have said that Bitcoin is like tulip mania. For those of us lacking the classical education that you've had, tell us the story of tulip mania. Well, no, we should concentrate on the fact... It's not really like tulip. Oh, well, okay. okay. Great excuse to talk about tulip mania. 1637, you're in the <laughs> Netherlands and you're... Th 1637, that's about quarter to five, isn't it? Well, yes. Um, but I'm talking years here, Ben. Okay, wow. You're in the Netherlands. You think, oh, that's a really nice bulb. How much do you think you have to pay for it? 
a tulip bulb. One bulb. One tulip bulb. I, I don't know, Rafe. I feel like you're leading me along a journey. Yeah, I think mean, well, 100, 100 euro equivalent. There was what's arguably the world's first speculative bubble, and the price of tulip bulbs went up and up and up in a short period of time. People were willing to pay more and more money from them, so it was it referred to as a bubble. In fact, it went up so much that for just a single bulb, you had to uh, give over two hogsheads of wine. And for Ooh. those of you who don't know what a hogshead is, I mean, obviously it's 63 gallons or 238 litres. That feels like a lot of wine for a flower. That I would rather have the wine. Yes, yeah. and that was kind of the point. If you look into this a bit more, there's basically one of the books on this was by Charles McKay, The Madness of the Crowds. It was the idea that people went a bit bananas and they were just... A bit of tulips. Well, indeed. And they were paying more and more money. It was a bubble. And we've had the South Sea bubble subsequently. And all of these things are basically economic speculation basically gone mad and the inference is that bitcoin is in that same place with people speculating a bubble's happened and there is no basis for that value to actually be there and that's why you've got people like the UBS chief economist or the vice president of the ECB comparing bitcoin to tulip mania so that's interesting because clearly a tulip can't be worth however many hundreds of gallons of wine because the effort and the resources to make one versus the other are so disproportionate. So that's not a kind of a a rational exchange of value. But nevertheless, it's not completely lunatic that tulip bulbs have a value. I mean, I go to the shop and I pay money for tulip bulbs because they're worth something to me if I want to plant them in my garden. So how do we differentiate between something which is sort of you know, a, a reasonable, you know, has a reasonable value, like, you know, a tulip bulb for, you know, a small amount of money versus this kind of vast, vast amount. Because it almost feels to me like if we take the same comparison, you're looking at this extreme behavior and saying, well, because that extreme behavior is bad or at least, you know, difficult to explain or unpredictable, I'm going to write off the whole thing. Could it be that actually Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are useful, but at the moment, they're being distorted by this speculation bubble. So that's actually my personal view on it, and it's you know worth what you pay for it, that there is a bit of a bubble going on on Bitcoin, but that doesn't mean that it's not useful. And I think you could even argue that at some point it will get you know, and maintain the value it's got now, because we talked about the reasons that it might have value, because it's actually a good way to exchange value. What we didn't mention was things like, you know, it's harder to tax, it's harder to have put transaction fees on it, all the traditional things that make kind of exchanges of value, particularly across mm. international borders, or for being stores of value, like bad things. So in a sense, it's one of the things we didn't talk about it having an attribute of is kind of free from transaction values and free from being taxed. Actually, there are potentially transaction values involved. Don't want to get into the detail there, but especially, <laughs> especially going on. But it's certainly much lower cost to use and to utilize Bitcoin as a means of exchanging value than anything else. And so I think it is a bubble in the sense people have got into it and been speculating about it. But the reason they've been willing to do that is because they recognize it as a useful way of storing value. And you know, all financial instruments are like that. You know, we're not tied to the gold standard or something like that anymore. So is this more the huge value that Bitcoin has amassed and so quickly is more representative of how useful a tool it could be rather than the intrinsic value of the Bitcoin? Absolutely. And that's where we come back to the marketability value. And it's really about the network effect that has been accelerating with Bitcoin over the last year or so. You know, because yes, the intrinsic value of it is effectively uh, zero, but it's the fact that people are willing to do that. And that is true for any currency. 
So when does this stop, Ewan? Because we're doing the cryptocurrency challenge, mm-hmm. and we said yeah. that we weren't just going to do investment because that's a that's not what we do, but also b no. we're interested in the technology and the social impact of this stuff. Yeah, and how you do it. Yeah, but I was sitting there the other day, and I found places that would allow me to, and I'll talk about them a bit more later. But <laughs> I found a place where I could put cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, on a debit card. I could go out and I could do my normal transactions. On my debit card, I could literally buy a sandwich and a coffee with Bitcoin if I wanted to. I mean, obviously, there's some crude mechanics behind it that are turning it into pound sterling and making sure the vendor's paid and taking an exchange rate and a commission on all that kind of stuff. But it suddenly struck me that actually, I would be absolutely mad to use the Bitcoin that I hold now as a way to do regular financial transactions. Because if I leave the value of that sandwich in Bitcoin now, if things carry on even vaguely in the direction that they have over, you know, over the last year or so, I'd be able to buy several sandwiches. And if I leave it long enough, probably the whole sandwich shop. Yeah. And th- this is the major issue that I think we have when it comes to Bitcoin. You see all these really interesting services, which I think we should talk about some of them shortly, that really are equivalent to you know, buying a sandwich with dollars instead of pounds. Yeah. Okay, what does it matter? I think when it comes to how we are all valuing Bitcoin, there is a view that we're all in early. What I mean by that is that if we're looking at it, and I know that I mean I I had Bitcoin. When did I, I bought my Bitcoin last year? I bought a hundred pounds of it. It's worth seven hundred pounds now. I thought you were going to say a hundred Bitcoin, and I was going to invite you to buy yeah. me a house. <laughs> yeah, I've been meaning to tell you guys. Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't need to work anymore. That one hundred pounds is yeah. Right, the hundred pounds has turned to seven hundred. I've done nothing. I mean that's nice. That's cool. But, it's more than nice. I mean, like we can be glib about it, but actually, you know, that is a substantial amount of money. You know, it's it's for many people of, in- of increase. Oh, well, yeah, yeah it's a, a massive increase. But however, you know, over the the last year, I've been watching all the different stories about oh, Bitcoin's now worth two thousand uh, uh, US dollar. Oh no, no, now it's five thousand. No, it's gone down. It's fallen. Yeah, it's going to go up and down, up and down. But the view I think many are having is we're in early, and it's it's it is as as Rafe says, classic, absolute classic from an economic standpoint, that it's worth 10000 or 13000 or $15,000 per Bitcoin because you and I agree it is. And you and I are, are think it's a little bit like the housing market in the UK, right? You know, I'll buy this property and my expectation is it goes up and I'm not going to sell it unless I absolutely have to. And the government ensures that I don't have to. So yeah, the, the value appreciates because we all think it does. We all say it does. And I think that's an actually a really important point because when we look at it now, to go back to what you were saying, it is a store of value. It doesn't make sense really to transact on it. Some people are doing so because they're using it as a medium of exchange, getting into it quickly and then getting out to kind of avoid a you know, transaction fee from moving money across a border. But actually, when people talk about the value and talk about it being a bubble, you know, if you're on the bubble side of the fence, you're saying it's bet on the greater fool theory. But I think most people are getting into it now are betting on the fact that there are a lot of people out there yet to be convinced about Bitcoin, yet to get into it, and knowing that when they do start using it and do start using it for the things that we've been talking about. So it's, if you like, bet on the yet to be convinced rather than betting on the fall. And that's why- Or, or, or just got yet value. to know. It's not just yeah. a bit convinced, just yet to know. Exactly. So we talked about how most of the benefits of cryptocurrencies are the ease of transaction, the accessibility, the flexibility, the fact that it can be done in software. The theoretical benefits, by the way, because we'll come to the reality. We'll of it. come to the reality. <laughs> yeah. But many of the things that, in theory, make cryptocurrencies appealing are also directly counteracted by this being and such a rapidly increasing store of value. Indeed. Because 
as you said, Rafe, unless you're taking it in and out very quickly as a, as a sort of intermediate step in some kind of financial transaction, actually, me avoiding the difficulty of paying for things in US dollars or pound sterling or euros by having this universal accepted currency that crosses borders without regulation, those sorts of things, is all completely negated by the fact that if I put money into Bitcoin, it's madness to spend it. And actually, the cost of doing transactions where you don't transact entirely in Bitcoin, where you do transfer into another currency, are still relatively high. So where does this end? Do we just accept that actually Bitcoin is really just a type of investment and we need to stop talking about it because we don't really talk about investments on the podcast? Or is this actually really still an interesting and world-changing technology? It's tricky because I think I see it becoming perhaps more of an investment because I think there will be other cryptocurrencies um, that potentially do other things. You referred to Ethereum earlier, and actually that was set up specifically not really to be a a financial instrument, although it's kind of turned out that way, but to uh, help run transactions and run certain types of kind of exchanges. And actually that's what blockchain itself is sort of all about, recording transactions in an open and transparent way. And as Ewan said, the trust issue. So I think Bitcoin, it, it seems to me, looks like it will become used as a store of value. I mean, that's where it probably holds the most value. I mean, there will continue to be speculation, but it's very noticeable that some of the, what I call everyday activity that's emerged has come out in places like Indonesia and some other economies where local fiat currency is inherently- sorry, local what? Uh, sorry, the normal money is inherently kind of unstable or very volatile. And it's kind of ironic that People are using Bitcoin, which we see as ultra-volatile, because they have more trust in it than their local currency. Mm. And that is a thing I do expect to kind of happen more often. And people, you're right, effectively using it as an investment. But we're not experts in this. I think that's worth pointing out. This We're kind of landing on this and having had a play about with it without really understanding the full implications. But if you, you know, kind of try and read around the subject as we've been doing, there is no universal agreement about what it's going to be used for it's kind of an ongoing experiment in one sense, but quite scary given the amount of money we're now talking about. We're running into millions of transactions. You know, there's sort of seven or eight transactions going on in, in Bitcoin every second, which doesn't sound like very many, but, you know, that's accelerating. Well, can I just stop you though? Because yeah. the other point then that stands out is millions of transactions, but actually traditional currencies, which we've said suffer from fees and regulation and costs to cross borders and those sorts of things they achieve far more transaction volume. I mean, if you look at Visa and people like that, they transact orders of magnitude, like tens of thousands of times more transactions per second than there are on cryptocurrencies. So again, I'm sort of still struggling. I understand the theoretical benefits, but I'm actually not seeing that the real world hasn't found other ways to solve the problems of traditional currencies. So we're back to is it only ever going to be a store of value? I mean, before the recording started, you cited Visa, for example. And yes, Visa has many more transactions going across it, sort of a theoretical maximum of something like 47,000 versus 7 or 8 per second for Bitcoin. But that's partly a reflection of how accessible it is for people at the moment. And you refer to kind of the fees, and actually, as we'll find out when we talk about how we bought Bitcoin, it's actually not that easy. Also, I would sort of point out that it's taken a long time for those existing financial instruments to be established. Mm. And actually, it used to be that you used to have to go in, well, you had barter, then you went into a bank and you had debased currencies and all kinds of things going wrong there. Only relatively recently have we had you know, electronic payments, the idea of credit cards and all of that as an extra thing. And 
each step forward has become more efficient. And I wouldn't necessarily say that cryptocurrencies by themselves are going to be more efficient, but they do take out some of the barriers or some of the kind of inefficiencies or bits of friction around moving money about. I mean, that's what we've basically been saying. And so I think in time, more of it will go that way. Kind of the big question, I guess, is would it be something like Bitcoin or is it possible that you will have a forward-thinking country try and set up their own currency around the principles of a cryptocurrency, which I think is entirely possible. And you look at a country like Estonia that's done that for identity, I wouldn't be that surprised. And without having a full understanding of it, that's kind of what's next. One last question before we get into our own cryptocurrency activities. Rafe, when I pay fees and charges to make transactions in traditional currencies, because I'm paying somebody else to do some work, and I might not like it, but Mr. Visa runs a complicated IT system that does all my transactions with a very high level of reliability. You know, Ewan's bank does actually employ people and, you know, manage services and do things to protect their customers' money and to provide services. So they're not just dumb stores of value. I don't pay anything for transacting my cryptocurrencies or do I? Because like, Actually, who's doing the work here? You know, how can I well, have you're, this you're for free? You're paying exchange. You know, if you're, you're usually paying some kind of fee on an exchange if you're buying and storing your Bitcoin there. Okay, so I pay somebody if I want to turn pounds into Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Who does the work of all of these transactions between you and me if I send you a Bitcoin? So we said we wouldn't describe Bitcoin too much, but understanding that there are nodes and miners out there that are part of the distributed network that basically validates when a transaction takes place, and they are actually rewarded for doing that successfully through actually the mining of a new Bitcoin, but also the transaction fees associated with it. So in fact, you are paying transaction fees. They're just very small. And one of the interesting things about the future of Bitcoin is those transaction fees may end up going up in order to kind of guarantee that you have a successful transaction. And so there is a genuine benefit involved in kind of running the parts of the decentralized network and those nodes or for mining. And actually, especially early on in the life of a cryptocurrency, you can do very well out of mining because that's how the Bitcoins are created in the first place. I think it is interesting though, because as it scales, I mean, people do talk about the scalability problem of Bitcoin and that's to do with kind of block size and all sorts of bits and pieces. But inherently, it's the fact that as more stuff goes through it, it kind of costs more to run it. And you're, you know, you're still having to run it even if it's decentralized. And you're right, that's what your bank and the government usually does. It's not that that goes away with Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. It's just decentralized. It's kind of shared across the whole network, but some will still have to pay for that. But there is an argument that it is more efficient when you distribute it because it's kind of self-regulating in that sense. So it is still there, but that goes back, I guess, to what I was saying earlier about it's a more efficient form of value exchange. It's all a bit complicated, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. And I'm trying to sound like I understand what I'm talking about, but honestly... This is a subject where you need real expertise to come across as completely comprehensive. Well, this is why we're relying on your Oxbridge and your Oxford no, education. No, I wouldn't rely on yeah. that too much. I did geography, not <laughs> cryptocurrency. <laughs> That's the title of this episode is The Best Explanation of Bitcoin by Geographer You'll Hear This Week. <laughs> I can do tulip mania because that was geography, but I can't do cryptocurrency. Uh, can we get to the stories? Can we get to your experiences? I want to hear the horror. It is the Bitcoin challenge after all. Exactly. I want to hear it all. Go on then, Rafe Blanford. <laughs> Turn to Rafe. Go on, Rafe. Do, so- do something. Do something. Very simple. How did you buy your cryptocurrencies? Hmm. Well, I waited a long time, so I've had no benefit whatsoever from the uh, speculation. 
<laughs> it's new money though, Rafe. You, your people sneer at new money. Well, there is that. <laughs> and I, I heard how you bought some, how you and Ed uh, sort of bought some, and Ewan's actually been sitting on it for a year. Sort of, but I've so had I'm it. concerned Thank it's you. buying before the challenge begun. That's basically cheating, right? This is cheating, yes. Right, so... I've won before I was we getting play, a bit yeah. desperate because I sort of tried various things and it actually turns out it can be quite hard to buy Bitcoin because mm. especially when you try and do it through a bank, they seem to be a bit suspicious of it for some unknown reason, can't possibly think why. And they want you to <laughs> hand over your left kidney, a passport photo and everything else. Now, there are some easy ways to do it and I know that Ben's going to talk about those. But I sort of went the, how do I buy Bitcoin Google route? And it's Oh, said, no. Oh, by the way, there's a Bitcoin ATM just up the road from the office. I thought, perfect, I can do this the day of the recording. So I popped along Brick Lane to find this convenience store. And I thought, hang on a minute, this, frankly, this seems a bit dodgy. Walked into the back of the shop and at the back there was this machine that you put money in and then it purportedly gave you Bitcoin. And actually what it was doing was you kind of put the money in. It's like, great, you've given me some money. Would you like to buy some Bitcoin? And then it printed out a bit of paper. And we talked earlier about the kind of public and the private key and a paper wallet. So that's exactly what it gave me. So I put some cash in. It charged me some fairly ruinous transaction fees for actually buying it. I think it was something like 5% of the kind of the value. I put that in. The next day, Bitcoin went up from sort of 8,000 to 10,000. So actually, I did make about 10%, which wasn't too bad for um, one bit of transaction. But this was kind of a, almost like an ATM, put money in, get some Bitcoin out. And what did your Bitcoin look like? It looked like a bit of paper with two QR codes on it. It looked very nice next to the box of cornflakes that was sitting on the shelf, quite literally next to this machine. I feel like the future is not evenly distributed. No, it's probably fair to say that there aren't many Bitcoin ATMs in kind of rural Sussex near the Blanford Estate. Hold on, I'm sure I read about money laundering being done allegedly through machines that were functioning as ATMs. Oh, well, um, I don't know anything about that quite literally. Um, but yes, <laughs> I'm sure it was an ATM know. in a corner store I was reading about. Brick Lane and Shoreditch are probably as Bitcoin central as you get in London. And actually, joking aside, there are a number of places where you can go and buy Bitcoin essentially via an ATM or by doing an exchange. And this was one way to do it. And actually, it was incredibly easy because it was just like, buying a train ticket, except uh, this time a bit of paper with some Bitcoin on it came out. And what have you done with your Bitcoin on paper? Yes. Um, the first thing I did was lose it because I put it in a jacket pocket and couldn't remember that I'd put it in the jacket pocket. You should have taken a photo of it. So now I've put it underneath my sofa cushion so that I don't lose it. That raises a number of questions we don't have time to go into in the episode. It does. It does. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I didn't want to put it under the mattress because then the mattress it gets lumpy. So I put it under the sofa cushion. Especially as the Bitcoin grows. <laughs> okay. I have been enormously boring. I've used Coinbase, who are the largest, simplest, most user-friendly, and probably comparatively high-cost exchange. Right. It's login, use a bank card or a bank transfer to buy some currency. It all looks really very much like an online shopping experience, like a sort of a dumbed down mm. exchange or, or foreign exchange tool. It's super easy. I went in, did it, paid more because I paid from a debit card. But I was, like Rafe, I was amazed how hard it was to transact from sterling to Bitcoin. I know there are 
for experts, there are ways of trading with people directly and all these sorts of things. But I wanted something that was sort of mm. a bit sort of consumer grade that I could get on with and, and do. So I went and did that. I probably paid a reasonable amount in fees, but I got my Bitcoin. Hang on. You got a Bitcoin. That's a bit over the £100 limit. No, no, I got my Bitcoin as in I typed in, I would like to buy £100. And what you do is effectively with Coinbase, you have real currency stores. So you put £100 or €100 or $100 into your various wallets, and then you can exchange them for the currencies. They support three, which are um, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. Litecoin obviously being the lesser well-known of those three. So I did that, paid my fee at the time I put the money in, and then I bought about half Bitcoin and half Ethereum and had a bit of a play about with it, you know, watch the values go up and down and those sorts of things. It's very easy. It's going to be comparatively hard for me to get my money out. They don't offer payout into sterling, so I'm going to have to do some hoopla with oh, European no. banks. But yeah. I suppose the other thing, actually going back to what Rafe said earlier, that was quite nice is I could just download, I see you doing my bunny ears, I could download my Bitcoin and use any other Bitcoin exchange or tool in order to cash out or to sell my Bitcoin to somebody else when I'm ready to do that. I actually have recently taken all of my money out of my Bitcoin and my Ethereum last week. The prices sort of spiked up and I decided, oh, that's nice, but I've, you know, I've made a fair amount of money. And How much did you make? So I think I probably, what do I think now? Because I sort of went backwards and forwards. So I think I have just slightly more than doubled my money. But it could have been a great deal more because I was playing about with putting it in and taking it out and transferring it and those sorts of things. Right. And so actually, I sort of made some bad decisions, but I wasn't sort of trying to, I wasn't really trying to make a return. So I wasn't particularly worried about, you know, kind of making good investment decisions. And I paid a bunch of transaction fees. So it's very noticeable that every time you sell or you buy, there was a really fairly hefty Coinbase transaction mm. fee. But they have like a nice iPhone app and it goes ding when there's a certain value. I mean, it is. Very, very <laughs> friendly, but you're paying for that convenience. Does it go ding when their site's down? Uh, well, it did go down quite a lot. Because it says, currently it says service unavailable at the moment. Well, it, it certainly, it's been, it's been a, quite a good experience for me in terms of, yes, their site is a bit unreliable in terms of going down, but when it's available, I can actually understand what's going on in a way that I can't necessarily, because a lot of the other sites seem to assume a lot of knowledge about Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrencies mm. generally, or alternatively, that you're some kind of day trader who understands this kind of vastly complicated kind of, you know, green terminal that you might see in a sort of trading desk or something, which yes. is, I'm sure is great for people who understand what it is, but that's not me. So yeah. yeah, I've played about with that. And then it all spikes up horrendously in value. And I thought, I can't be bothered to watch this thing go up and down. So I've done very well, thank you, by accident. I'll take that money out and then I'm going to go and try it and you know, move it around. I'm going to try and take it now out of Coinbase and put it into another exchange. So on the day I'm ready to do that, I'll buy some Bitcoin, I'll get the address, and I'll try and transfer it to another exchange is my next plan. But like I say, I'll do that when I'm ready. So Ewan, how about you? Right, so mine is a tale of woe. Uh-oh. I have lost money. Ooh. Hang on, you said you made you, you put in £100 and you had £700. Hand in your banking licence and gun straight away. I thought I should try and do something decent. Yeah, and follow the rules. Wow. He last no year, rules. I used Coin Floor to buy £100 sterling. And that, as I said, is £760 or something like that at the moment. The experience was a bit annoying. I think I logged in, said I wanted to do £100. It said, right, send £100 to this bank account in the UK. Just do it. Trust us. 
So I decided to try it, and I did that, and then the money, I think the next, sorry, the Bitcoin 0.072 or something like that, uh, our Bitcoin arrived in my CoinFloor account, and it's just stayed there. I haven't done anything with it. What I decided to do was take a different approach, because I was looking around to see what can I buy with Bitcoin legally, and I was not very inspired at all. And I, I did note the ATMs and so on, and, and there's plenty of services in America, or I, I, I found a pub in Australia that will accept Bitcoin, you know, great. So I took a different approach. I actually was watching the market, the Bitcoin market, and I thought, why don't I try investing in it? So I used a social investing service. I won't name it. The reason I won't name it is because I think, I think that's the right thing to do. <laughs> in fact, the, the, the tale of woe is my problem, my misunderstanding, but it's really interesting here, right? So Bitcoin was at 9,700, okay? Dollars. US dollars. And I thought, how do I, A, do something that we can talk about on the show here, and B, have an interesting story. Do you know what? I'll use this social investing service. I will buy some Bitcoin from them. And I logged into the app, and I trans- I think I actually got 0.02 Bitcoins for $9,800. At a price of $9,800 per Bitcoin. Sorry, sorry, price yeah. of nine eight. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, isn't it, that one thing equals ten thousand dollars i know like, i know it's just it's just amazing but now this was i think this was and you were you were saying oh oh the market's going up and up and i think you know i remember talking to you on, on whatsapp and you said oh i'm pulling out or something like that i had uh, i think a couple of days before i just bought in <laughs> so <laughs> i thought i'm going to use the wisdom of the crowds here and by the way none of this podcast should be taken as investment advice no. we should have said that at the start also, you shouldn't need us to tell you that this is an investment advice. No. <laughs> if at any point you think this is an investment advice, it's not, and go and seek help from a grown-up. Exactly. Now, what was interesting here is Bitcoin that went to 10000 I thought, come on! And I logged in to see the $200 that I spent was now worth 180 <laughs> Hold on a minute. That, that sounds bad. That doesn't sound yeah. right. Yeah. What went wrong there? Yeah. So then Bitcoin goes to US dollars I'm looking in, and then it's gone down again. My $200 is now 160 Did you bet on it the wrong way? <laughs> and it's only yesterday I thought, did I press the wrong button? Because it's now at, is it $13,000 at the moment? It is, yes. I think it's thirteen nine or thirteen eight. So just before we started recording, I logged in and closed the trade. I thought, what am I doing wrong here? I've, I've lost almost $60 off my 200 But I thought, how can I do that? I was almost going to go and look at the frequently asked questions and say, what have I done wrong here? And what has you done wrong? I don't quite know. And let this please be a warning to everyone here, right? We have been messing around. And I think, as Rafe surmised, I think I must have taken up a sell. I, I can't, but how can you buy a sell position in Bitcoin at $9,800? And that, well, that's obviously what I've done because I, I presume. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And this is a really interesting experience I've had here because that purely I was I was using the social investing service to speculate because I don't I want uh, you can't do anything with a Bitcoin via the service. You just own it or you have the rights to it for a period of time uh, until you sell it. So I think I must have taken that. I think I pressed the wrong button. But nowhere can I see the record. I need to go and look on the web somewhere to see what I actually did. Because I think I must have, as, as you say, done a sell. I thought I was buying Bitcoin, but clearly wasn't. So now can you imagine if I said, come on, let's stick 10,000 in there. 
I would have had to explain to Hetty what I'd done with two and a half thousand. <laughs> well, actually, the other thing I discovered, and I'm, I understand the reticence about naming the site, but there are a number of social investing sites. So, you know, pick one you like and do your own homework. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I tried the one that you mentioned to us after we discussed it recently. And actually, I think if you're curious about cryptocurrencies and you want to have a zero risk play with it, what I hadn't realized is that many of these sites will offer virtual currencies and so you can play yes. with imaginary money. And so yeah, yeah. after that, I decided in the spirit of the cryptocurrency challenge, I'd leave my hundred pounds in real Bitcoin and, and real Ethereum and I'll put it back in and try and do the things for the challenge. But for my own learning in the background, I'm using, I'm now trading virtual dollars with this social site, which is, you know, kind of allows you to play like fantasy football with cryptocurrencies, right. basically. Right. And therefore, if I don't know enough to be an investor, but actually I'm curious and this is a good way to do it and there's no cost involved in that. You just sign up and then you kind of toggle you between your real wallet and your virtual wallet. And that's quite interesting. And of course, it also tells me that I'm a numpty because if I'd left my money in on the day I took it all out, it would have gone up a further 30% in value in that time, <laughs> at least for Bitcoin. But what's interesting there is I'm also beginning to learn the different patterns in terms of the different cryptocurrencies are being affected by different factors. And so, you know, Ethereum has gone down in that period and Bitcoin has gone up. And it's interesting to see how all the various bits of news that come out go towards that. I'm sort of vaguely curious about whether or not I really want to sort of make the cryptocurrency challenge into an investment challenge, because that seems mm. boring to me. You could have talked about any kind of investments that we don't know anything about. Before we wrap up, any tips or tricks that you want to say for people who are interested in cryptocurrencies? Rafe, I'm desperately keen to go and get a real bit of paper with a Bitcoin on. I'm trying to order a card to make these payments I referred to earlier. There's a couple. I can't recommend any of them because I haven't used them yet, but I've looked at CryptoPay and SpectroCoin. They both effectively offer you a wallet to store Bitcoin in and a Visa card that you can then use. I think really what they are intended to do is to make it convenient to put money in and out of those wallets because you can pay into them and, and withdraw money from them, although there are charges. Actually, I might try and take a little bit of that money that I talked about that's in Coinbase out to see if that's a good way to do it, albeit £100 actually is a relatively small amount of money and the fees are proportionally higher, but I'm going to give that a go. Interestingly, both have very, very clunky what's called KYC checks, which are the essential set of checks that most financial services mm -hmm. companies have to do when they give you a new product. As a sidebar, I signed up for Monzo the other week, which is the new sort of startup bank we've mentioned. Oh, yeah. I signed up for their current account. The onboarding was really, really slick, and I kind of half expected that from these cryptocurrency cards. Not anywhere as close as good. So I failed that check basically because I couldn't take a photo of me holding my passport and submit it because I didn't have my passport with me in the right time scale. I needed to do it. So I failed on that one, but I am going to give that a bit of a try to see if I can get some money in and out is my plan. How about you chaps? Well, my tip would be, yeah, the ATM works, but then you have to work out how to do something else with it. So that's what I'm going to do next because actually creating a paper wallet is relatively easy out of the various bits of software. And um, what Ben and Ewan have been talking about, they've kind of stored it effectively in the cloud. You can store it in an application on your PC or even on your phone. I've got a bit of paper. But I think it'd also be interesting to explore some of the other cryptocurrencies out there and actually, you alluded to Ethereum dropping in value. There's a reason for that, or at least part of the reason for that is uh, 
they've been having a bit of a problem with uh, transaction volume and so getting things through quickly because a new cryptocurrency, which is called CryptoKitties, has emerged literally as we're recording this. Is it a cryptocurrency or is it a way to use Ethereum? Well, I was going to say it's actually a way to use Ethereum, but it's kind of based on the same technology. But the interesting thing is it sort of starts becoming a currency when people are willing to pay real money for these crypto kitties. And what I should say is rather than being a Bitcoin... Get in now, get in now. Exactly. Rather than being a Bitcoin, it's sort of a cryptocurrency represented as a digital representation of a cat. And there's various kind of breeding algorithms and effectively genetics built into it that make them appear in a certain way. So I thought it would be interesting to kind of explore some of the other cryptocurrencies out there. And I suspect some of them are even more volatile and are coming and going. And I also want to have a go at mining just to kind of understand a little bit about how that works, because that seems like money for just running your PC all day. Yes. I've got a thought about that, but hold that thought. Crypto kitties. Yes. It's not just buying like a glorified kind of picture of an animal, because people appear to be spending tens or thousands of pounds on pictures of animals. This is more a kind of a visual representation of the Ethereum coin, for want of a better term itself, is it? Well, it's built on top of Ethereum. And actually, that's one of the things Ethereum is designed to do, kind of allow you to do various things. And actually, I think the big news or the kind of the popular thing has been talking about ICOs, which initial coin offerings, kind of ways of raising capital that's happening on top of Ethereum. So I actually think that's a subject we should look into a bit more because people are quite familiar with uh, Bitcoin and read a bit about it. But when we talk about the cryptocurrency challenge, there's actually a lot more out there and kind of understanding how it can be something other than just about kind of a medium for value exchange. Crypto kitties certainly seem to me to be the first time cryptocurrencies got fun in an amusing way. Mm, indeed. Okay, final thought. It's a bit of discussion that's been going on on social media in the last few days. We haven't really prepped for this part of the conversation, but I'd just like your five cents on this and we'll come back to it in more depth in the future. A couple of people, including Marco Armand, Tumblr co-founder and podcaster himself, has said soon cryptocurrencies will be as unfashionable as Hummers and gas guzzling cars, because actually it's an incredibly ecologically irresponsible thing to do. You burn huge amount of fossil fuels primarily in order to fund very high power computers to do the mining thing, where you you know do the hard numbers in order to make this currency. And actually, there's no need to do that, and it's just a way to burn a lot of electricity that could have been spent on something more productive. I was kind of a bit gobsmacked by that argument, not because I disagreed with it, I just hadn't given it any thought whatsoever. So, Ewan, thoughts? Mm, Yeah, I think increasingly we're all going to be a lot more focused on these types of issues. The sustainability angle is very, very important. The green angle in finance is really important as well. I never think really of the cost of running my IT because it's relatively small compared to the carbon cost of running my home or my car and things like that. But the moment you start seeing stories, Ben, the moment you start saying, do you hold Bitcoin? Oh, well, you're costing the equivalent of you know, yeah. five cows. Well, just, just you know, to put some numbers against that, each Bitcoin transaction requires the same amount of energy used to power nine homes for one day. So we're talking enormous amounts of energy, especially the number of transactions going through. And actually, the computing power within the Bitcoin network is 100,000 times larger than the 500 fastest supercomputers in the world. So we're talking huge amounts of computing power and therefore the energy resources to run that. And yeah, I think there's a really strong environmental argument. And of course, that's only going to increase over time. And the thing is that like a lot of energy and environmental things, the cost of that is not really factored into 
the cost that you you know see people paying, just in the same way that people make the same argument about air travel or car travel. But that absolutely will come home to roost. I mean, it's why you see people talking about running Bitcoin mining off solar power, because it's the only sustainable way to do it and actually keep making money. So I do think it'll be a big issue. And I think it's one of the things that sort of wasn't considered when Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies were set up, that there definitely is an issue there, because it's not free. There is a real energy and environmental yeah. cost. Fascinating. I hadn't thought about that at all, and I'm gobsmacked by those numbers. Just say that to, to me again, Rafe. So each Bitcoin transaction requires the energy used to power nine homes for a day. Yeah, so we're see, talking that, about that is not sustainable. We're talking about you know if you think of all the transactions happening, and I believe it's about five or six per second at the moment over the course of the day. We're talking about enough power to kind of power at least a large town, if not significantly more. It starts to get to the point as well where you presumably people will start to try and make economies by aggregating transactions and having little sort of localized markets where you don't actually hold your own Bitcoin and you have yeah. some sort of, like, for example, Coinbase, for example. I don't know if they do this, but they'd hold everybody's coins. And if I trade you with another Coinbase user, it would just be Coinbase notionally, you know, plus one credit to you, minus one credit to you, which might negate some of the interesting side of cryptocurrencies. But the power cost alone, yes, unless you're next to a hydroelectric dam or as you were saying to us earlier Ewan or you know solar power or something like that that mm. would be interesting okay so uh, any last tips on all things cryptocurrencies I got one and that is just make sure that you're prepared to lose the money so you know I went uh, eyes open obviously not fully open in the context of what I was doing <laughs> not, not open enough to press the right buttons <laughs> <laughs> whoops I was just looking through the transaction history it does look as though I bought a sell order what you know, well done, that's not very helpful. Mm, mm. Nice one. But, you know, I did so so that we can all benefit from that experience. So just be really careful Excellent. and make sure that it's money you are content to lose if you're playing with it. Or actually just use a virtual currency and Even better. play with Even it there. Better. Yeah. Because then actually there's no risk at all and you can just enjoy thing. Although it was incredibly frustrating to see these numbers go up and think, what if we turned it into real money? But of course, we still opened the show by talking about how we could have turned £300 into over a million pounds. Of course, there's no way that we could have realistically known that that would have happened. And indeed, whatever we might do over the course of the remaining challenge, we've no idea if it's going to go up or down or whatever. And so it's only with retrospect that you can say, I wish I had done that. Exactly. Don't risk your money. This is highly volatile and potentially not very responsible to be done. No, exactly. For what I've said. Okay. While we finish off the currency, I'm going to try and get one of those cards and transact on it. I'm also going to try and move money between exchanges as well to see if I can actually work out so I'm not locked in because at the moment all I've had is my experience of cryptocurrencies is just Coinbase. It's a nice web app, but all I've done is used the web app and typed in my credit card details. I haven't really experienced it at all. And also something, Rafe, I'm going to be interested in following up on is the slightly darker side of cryptocurrencies. I heard recently about adverts on the web that were embedding software that effectively mined new crypto coins inside the browser. They stole a few processor cycles from every page that they were displayed on, (laughs) which seems really interesting. And maybe just some of the ways that actually cryptocurrencies are kind of changing the way in which sort of there's risk and fraud and those sorts of things happen. Yeah, some great suggestions there, Ben. I also kind of want to look at some of the other cryptocurrencies and maybe investigating mining or even, you know, what is required to set up one yourself. We'll revisit this in some future episodes. And uh, yeah, you'll have an update on the challenge. I'm not sure there's going to be any winners or losers here, although Ewan's made an early <laughs> pace in the loser category for managing to press the wrong button. I think as with all of these things, we're all losers here. 
Yes. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah. Certainly. I think early doors, we thought it was going to be a mix of what could we do with it. And some element would be increasing in value. The more I'm thinking is I might like to retrospectively rewrite the rules that say actually purely making money on the back of something randomly increasing in value actually isn't very interesting. So it should be most interesting thing, not most increased in value. Anyways, as ever, let us know what you think. If you are experienced in using or investing in cryptocurrencies, we'd love to hear from you and what you've learned along the way. If you've got any questions or clarifications or things you'd like the team to try along the way, risking our money instead of yours, then please let us know. We're at 361podcast on Twitter. You can email us through the website 361podcast.com or you can make a comment on any of the posts where you hear these articles. Thank you very much to everyone who's written in and all the feedback. We really appreciate it. We'll be responding to some of that feedback in future episodes. Thank you very much to Mark at audiorangler.co.uk who edits this and has probably had a bit of a job on his hands this week. Thank you to Digitas LBI who provide us with our recording facilities and indeed access to Ralph Blanford. We will be back next week. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.